The idea was based on the simple premise of what if you could get a pack of baseball cards, just like the ones that lots of us collected as kids that had the stick of gum, but one that had never been opened, and open it up and then say, okay, whatever 15 guys are in this pack, those are the people I'm going to go track down now, 30 years later, and tell the story of the afterlife of baseball players, the ultimate where are they now road adventure. For me, it was really important that it would be very much a road trip book, a memoir, a story about baseball, beyond baseball, like who are these people? What's up, Bucketheads? Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to episode number 127 of the Baseball Bucket List podcast. I'm your host, Anna Tomaso, and each week on the show, I speak with a different baseball fan about their favorite memories, what's left on their baseball bucket list, and what the game of baseball means to them. This week, I had the pleasure of chatting with Brad Baluchian from Oakland, California. Brad is a lifelong Phillies fan and the author of an LA Times bestseller, The Wax Pack. This is a story and an idea I absolutely love. The premise behind the book is simple. Brad took a pack of Topps baseball cards from 1986, which was the first year he remembered collecting cards as a kid, and set out on an epic adventure to find all of the players in the pack. As Brad attempts to get to know the actual people behind the ball players, the book dives deep into a difficult-to-answer question, is there life after baseball? Brad and I discuss how he came up with the idea for the Wax Pack, some of his favorite memories from his more than 11,000-mile road trip, and about his upcoming book, The Six Pack. Brad was a ton of fun. It's obvious he's a very gifted storyteller, so y'all are really going to enjoy this one. Now, without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy some baseball banter with Brad Baluchian. Brad, thank you so much for joining us today on the Baseball Bucket List podcast. How are things in Oakland, California? Well, things are, it might be, we might have our first rains of the season coming up here, but uh, I like this time of year. I'm I'm definitely into the whole holiday spirit thing, so I'm, I'm getting geared up here. Yeah, they are just around the corner, like literally speaking, which seems just unfathomable. Time is moving too quick, but I don't know. There's nothing to do about it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. And uh, as we get older, it goes faster, I think, because we have, we have more of a reference point in our past, right? Yeah, that's what I'm told. <laughs> The first question I always start off with is, how is it that you fell in love with the game of baseball? I think it really, like so many people, it goes back to my dad and early childhood and having a father who was very attentive, very loving, and also really into baseball. And I probably, thinking about it, had the kind of mind that was appropriate for the game in the sense of I I like statistics and I like tracking things and and so for me i one of my earlier memory earliest memories is looking at the box scores in the providence journal in the newspaper every morning before breakfast or while i had breakfast and just loving that there was this report that i could read every morning and so from every facet from the statistics to playing catch with my dad and wiffle ball the baseball cards going to games. I grew up in Rhode Island, so it was all about the Boston Red Sox, even though I wasn't a Red Sox fan. Um, I'm a Phillies fan. And uh, and so, yeah, that was that was my beginning into baseball. Yeah, that's great. I, uh, I love that. There's a lot of stuff like that that kind of resonates with me too, kind of similar threads along, you know, my own baseball story. But 
you got to explain to me how a kid that grows up in Rhode Island around the Red Sox fever, now living in Oakland, becomes a fan of the Philadelphia Phillies. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> question with a very silly answer. But before I give you that, what? who's your team? I'm a Tampa Bay Rays fan. Oh, nice. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Were you ever, were you upset when they dropped the word devil? No, I was. So okay. I didn't really care, to be honest. We ended up with season tickets in 2008, which you as a Phillies fan have fond memories of. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, so I had only been a casual fan of the team up until, you know, that rebranding year. I see. Yeah. Okay. I'm just curious about little things like that. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, Phillies. So when I was a little kid, and this will tell you something about my personality too, that part of it is I think I never follow the crowd. So I wasn't predisposed to like the Red Sox just because that's who everybody liked. But also when I was about four or five, for whatever reason, I don't know why, I had a favorite letter and that letter was F. And I heard the name Philadelphia Phillies and I thought, well, there you go. That's my team. And which having no idea that that how bad they were <laughs> at that time, but also being a fan of underdogs, it, it was the perfect team for me because I, I love the underdog, uh, became a yeah, huge Philadelphia sports fan and have always liked the Phillies since then because I can't spell. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not phonetic, right? Yeah, I can I can see that as a as a kid just uh I like the sound it makes. So then you're a Philly sports fan across the board? I am. I would say okay. I follow the Eagles and the Phillies the closest yeah. because those are the sports that I've uh, been the most into. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. Have you um, had a chance to get up to many games in Citizens Bank? No. So I live out in Oakland. I've been out in California since I graduated from college. So I've I've adopted the A's out here yeah. who conveniently came from Philadelphia yeah. So uh, and are also sort of their own underdog story. I live pretty close to the Oakland Coliseum. I've been to plenty of A's games out here. And but in terms of the bank, I've only been there once. And that was a great time. 2009 World Series against the Yankees for a game with my dad. Uh, so I would hope to get back again uh, before too long. Yeah. All right. So you kind of alluded to baseball cards being at least a small factor in kind of your love of the game and its development. I know that you've you've written a, a very well-received book. I mean, it's a L.A. Times bestseller. It was one of NPR's best books of 2020. It's called The Wax Pack. And this idea is just so wonderfully out there to me. And so I kind of, one, I'd like for you to give listeners an overview as to like what the idea behind the book is. And then two, I've got to hear how you came up with this plan. Mm. It's really hard to have an original idea in the space of baseball. It's even harder to then execute it. So I'm really happy with how it all turned out. The idea was based on the simple premise of what if you could get a pack of baseball cards, just like the ones that lots of us collected as kids that had the stick of gum, but one that had never been opened and open it up and then say, okay, whatever 15 guys are in this pack, those are the people I'm going to go track down now 
30 years later and tell the story of the afterlife of baseball players, the ultimate where are they now road adventure. Um, but it would be, there's a lot of different types of books you could write with this premise. But for me, it was really important that it would be very much a road trip book, a memoir, a story about baseball beyond baseball like who are these as who are these people not just who are the what are their statistics and i really wanted to be in the story myself like as the narrator and not be uh, at a distance from the action and that was a really hard thing to convince anyone to publish <laughs> right because it's just not the way things are often done so Without having a book deal or anything, I mean, I, I'm a trained journalist. I, I'm both a professor and a writer, so I have a background in writing, but I never written a book or even tried to write a book. And I decided, okay, without a book deal or anything, I'm going to go ahead and do this. And this is back in 2015. And so I got the pack and then I had the players and I spent about 10 months researching where they live, trying to get in touch with them. That's the other thing, right? Is I'm not, I'm not um, Tom Verducci or any, you know, <laughs> big baseball journalist. So why would they talk to me? So now I have to try to convince them to spend time with me. And I was actually really impressed with how most of these guys were very generous with their time. And I basically said, uh, I'm going to be in your town. I mean, you're in Dallas. I went to Dallas to meet Randy Reddy. And I said, okay, Randy, I'm going to be there for these couple of days. Can we hang out? And much to my delight, he obliged. And we went bowling and we went and worked out at the gym together and had breakfast. And that was another part of the book was I, I was really mindful of the reader's experience in that if I'm going to be on the road meeting these people, I wanted to vary the environments in which I spoke to them to make it as a writer. It also makes it more fun because you have more to work with. So I can describe and my style of writing is very much using setting a scene and using dialogue and, and describing the, the setting. So being able to be in a lot of different places, meeting one guy in a bowling alley and one guy in an art museum and one in his living room and one at the zoo kept the kept it from being redundant or monotonous in terms of if I met all the guys in a coffee shop, it's not as interesting. Did you have the pack already or was this something you had to go pursue? No, 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 I okay. did not have a pack. But, you know, you think about that, that junk wax era, as they call it, or in the yeah. late 80s, everyone was saving their cards and not opening. Oh, they're going to be worth so much money. And of course, <laughs> complete completely wrong. The classic case of economics, too much supply, not enough demand. So it's not hard to get an unopened pack of 1986 tops. Yeah. Uh, and to be fair and in full disclosure, I did get multiple packs. I didn't switch cards between packs, but I thought, okay, if I open just one pack and I happen to get five guys that are dead or right. half the pack lives in Indiana, no offense to Indiana, but that's not a very interesting narrative. So I went with the pack that had a good variety of geography and players, that sort of thing. Why did you pick 1986? Or was that also something that was just kind of happenstance? 86, because that was, I'm 43 now. So I was born in 1980. And that was the first year that I remember collecting cards. 
And so it was an obvious choice for me. Yeah. Nostalgia. I get it. All right. So the question on everybody's mind, I've got to ask it. Did you eat the gum? Yes. In fact, I, and I wrote about it. And so if you want to know just how awful it is, you can go to that first chapter and read my description of what it's like to eat 29-year-old gum. Uh, but yeah, in fact, I, I actually, uh, the, the gum played an interesting role in that I ended up opening the book with a scene set in the Topps factory in 1985. And I was able to track, because I wanted to create the scene of the, these cards being literally produced and manufactured on the assembly line and then fast forward to that pack being opened. So to write that, I was actually able to find several employees who were actually there in the factory in 1985 who made the cards and described in detail for me how that gum was made, which will really make you not want to chew it <laughs> and how the cards were made. And the book actually begins and ends with those people in the tops factory and, and kind of bookends the whole thing. That's, that's a really creative way to kind of open and close the story. So it seems to me, I mean, you come from a journal, a journalism background, so you have an idea as to kind of how to pry, you know, humanistic stories out of people and and perhaps you know get them to answer things more than with the just a yes or no question but you kind of left it to fate here i mean you selected a pack of cards where you knew most of the guys were around alive at least still but really just kind of up in the air in terms of like one are they going to talk to you two are they going to be a decent interview and three you know what were you going to get out of them? So what was kind of in your mind as what you were expecting? In terms of expectations, one of the lessons of the book is to be wary of them because a lot of times I was pleasantly surprised that despite all the research and prep I had done about a particular player, they came out with something that I had no idea was coming. For example, one of the themes of the book that emerged that I didn't know was going to emerge was just how many of these guys had been treated poorly, if not abused by their fathers. Mm. And there's sort of a dark thread in this book because of that. Uh, and I was really grateful that several players would open up about that. But that's not something that was shared in the media when you read the sports coverage of these people. So I would say you have to be prepared for something unexpected and then to be able to roll with that. But to get to that unexpected information, you also have to pose the right questions. And to your point, I, I tried to ask questions that were not, that were also maybe not expected from their end. So if I was meeting with Lee Mazzilli, I was intentionally not going to ask him about the 1986 World Series because everybody asks Lee Mazzilli about the 1986 World Series. So instead, if I just ask about his brother, that opens up a whole window potentially. Or if I ask about being a figure skater as a kid, that opens up a whole, a whole conversation. Uh, there's no way. I mean, I, 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 I predicted accurately that a lot of the bigger star players would be more difficult. Uh, and and I, but I always knew that if nothing else, I could rely on the story of trying to get the story. Right. And 
that quest narrative, that that in search of narrative is something that I think is intrinsically appealing to people because there's inherent dramatic tension built into that narrative. And so I could always count on myself to at least be there as the voice to describe what is the process like to try to find somebody and to fail or to come up short or to be rejected. And how do I feel about that? And what did I go through to do that? So it wasn't actually necessarily a negative to not get everyone in the pack. Were there people who you couldn't get a hold of or, you know, just said they weren't interested in doing it? Oh, yeah. So Carlton Fisk was probably the one of the more notorious subjects in the pack in that when he wouldn't talk to me, I, I kind of I basically went on this rogue mission in Florida to like <laughs> ambush him on a golf course and write about what it was like to lie my way onto this private golf course and try to find him. Or another one was Dwight Gooden, who had set everything up and then the day of disappeared. So I ended up still at his house interviewing his oldest son. And ultimately, I think that chapter works better, maybe not having talked directly to Dwight Gooden, because here's a guy who's written like three autobiographies and been covered to death. Right. So the challenge with that is how do you say something new about Dwight Gooden? And by interviewing his oldest son, I, I was able to do that. And I think that's what, as a reader of these type, this type of narrative nonfiction, I think what people want as readers is two things. They want novelty and they want to be entertained. And so I always kept that in mind. Like, What am I producing that no one else has ever produced or could produce because it's coming through my lens? And then how do I write it in a way that's I mean, the, the the best compliment that I get from people about this book is that they read it fast. Because I know I read a lot of books, I read mostly nonfiction. And even the ones I like, I tend to like put down or it's, mm -hmm. it's hard to get through it because it can be kind of dense material. But if you can write nonfiction in a way that reads at the pace of fiction, then that you've really done your job, I think. Yeah, I, I agree a lot with that. Because one of my favorite writers is Bill Bryson, who does this, you know, like travel right. narrative writing. And Absolutely. I love The Lost Continent, which is, you know, his road trip across America. And like some of my favorite parts of that book are him having conversations with like the waitress at IHOP or Waffle House right. or wherever he is. And so um, when folks tell you they read it fast and they couldn't put it down, it was like, you know, you must have done a really good job of making them feel like they were along with the ride, which is kind of, you know, what the what the whole premise is. I'm glad you said that, Anna, because I actually describe myself first as a travel writer, yeah. not a sports writer or a rest. I'm writing a book now about wrestling, not a wrestling writer. I'm a travel writer. And it took me a while to realize that. But it's true. The same way that Bill Bryson is, I mean, he's fully a travel writer that's his beat but when i write these books the, those little things yeah the interaction with the waitress those end up being some of my favorite parts of my of the book and sometimes the editors want to cut that stuff or they think oh you know what's the point but i always have the goal when i write these books to and so as a secondary goal to really kind of give the reader a sense of america yeah like who who is who what is america and who are 
So I'm writing, yeah, I'm writing about wrestlers or baseball players, but the second level are the are all the people that are the fans of those things. And I want to, where I can, I want to give those people some coverage. That's what makes it so attractive is, is it's so multi-layered because you have this pack of baseball cards, you're, you're pursuing these guys, you're trying to get a conversation with them, but you're not just going to talk to them about baseball, right? Yeah, in fact, sometimes I'm I'm like explicitly not talking to them about baseball, right? It's and that and that I think is sometimes why I get good material because they're disarmed or it's like they have their preconditioned answers about baseball, but they don't have necessarily preconditioned answers about the other stuff. Yeah, right. I just talked to to Bob Fontaine Jr., who is a, a scout. He was a scout, and uh, he said his favorite way to get an understanding is to like what a guy was truly like was to do just what you said, you know, ask him about his brother or ask him about school as opposed to just these these pre-canned answers that these kids have gotten to train and train and train so they deliver them perfectly. So it just makes it, there's such a more humanistic side to these guys. So Absolutely. I mean, you drove over 11,000 miles on this journey, right? And as you mentioned, one of your goals with the book was to kind of help the reader see America through the eyes, or I guess through your own windshield. And so, um, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Were there any kind of cool or unexpected things about America in particular that you saw along the way? Like maybe, maybe you were expecting something and it was totally different, or you were just completely caught off guard by, I don't know, a part of the country, people in the country, anything like that? Yes. As someone who's lived my entire life on the coast, I grew up in Rhode Island and I lived in the Bay Area in San Francisco for about 17 years. I think those of us on the coast tend to have an unfair view of the middle. Yeah. And we fall in this trap of being these coastal elites that we are, that, you know, you often hear about it's, and it's true. People write off a lot of the country as backwards or not as cultured or whatever. And I've, I have great experiences. I've had great experiences traveling to the, all these States. And, and I will tell you that a lot of people in small towns are nicer than people in San Francisco or, or New York or Oakland or, and so I've always been really surprised in a, in a good way by, the kindness of people in small towns and you know i may not share their politics or their views but that but i've i've been i've been well received in a lot in most places i've been that's that's good to hear i think that that's that's usually pretty true about small towns most of the time every once in a while it gets a little dicey but absolutely yeah (laughs) so Let's talk then about you've got a new book coming out shortly. It's a little different than the Wax Pack. Obviously, it's not going to be baseball focused. You kind of teased us a little bit saying it's it's a little more wrestling focused. Tell us about the Six Pack and, you know, what this idea is. Sure. And so after the Wax Pack came out, a lot of people, I, I was really flattered by by the praise and strangers writing to me and saying they loved it. And a lot of people were like, please, please do a sequel, do another pack. And while that was tempting, I mean, I may have been able to get a book deal easily to do that or whatever. Creatively, it wasn't interesting because it was just trying to do the same thing all over again. But I liked this idea, this spirit of 
the quest in search of being on the road. And so I thought, well, what other interests of mine could I could I explore to do something similar? So it's kind of a sequel, but not really. And wrestling was an obvious choice because I, as I grew up, I also was a big WWF fan in the 80s and that whole Hulk Hogan era. And so I, I also had this crazy backstory with a wrestler named the Iron Sheik, who was Hulk Hogan's nemesis. And <laughs> the book, this new book leads off with a, a scene in 2005 where I, I had left my job to go work on his biography and he threatened to kill me. And so things, things had gone completely sideways. It was like, imagine if the heroes of the wax pack, you know, now are giving me death threats. Right. So it's sort of turning the wax pack. My, my, my hero in baseball, Don Carmen emerges in the wax pack as this better than you could ever hope for in real life. And I, now I have the iron cheek who's, you know, sort of the opposite. And so I had this idea of going back on the road last summer and finding the iron cheek again, along with the, some of the other wrestlers who had been there when he became the champion. So Hulk Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter and these guys. And this time the book is the theme is really myth versus reality and and truth i always like to think of my books can i summarize the meaning of my book in a single word and for the wax pack it's not baseball it's vulnerability for the six pack it's not wrestling it's truth and <clears throat> once again it was an exploration of who are the re what are the real identities of these wrestlers like what is the cost of never getting to take off your costume back then in the so it's about guys in that era in the 80s who were expected to live their characters 24 7 mm. which is a unique thing it's not like it would be like imagine if harrison ford had to continue playing han solo all the time right it's crazy right there's nothing like that in in our society uh so i really wanted to know what is that like on what is the effect of that how do you maintain your own identity when you're playing something else all the time and so that's what we get into in in the six pack. So the six pack it's called the six pack on the open road in search of wrestlemania I don't know much about Hulk Hogan anymore, uh, other than I struggle to say his name every time I try. But, um, you know, he and there was another guy, they are kind of locals to the Tampa Bay area. And so... Right. So I went I went down to Tampa for my yeah. research and I got to meet like Hulk Hogan's guys he was in a band with and his childhood friends and went to his beach shop in Clearwater. Yeah, exactly. So really spent some time in Tampa to, to do the research. Yeah. I remember, you know, when I was younger, they would they would play these hype videos in between innings at the Trop with the with some of the wrestlers because obviously Tropicana Field has some wrestling history to itself as well. And I got the sense that that guy just never like that he just kind of morphed into that character. Like that is right. his his personality like forever and yeah. ever. Yeah, and that's I mean that's that that's right. And so he I, I talk about that in the book about did did Terry Bollea cease to exist, and and the answer is yes and no. Yeah. I, I think he's rediscovering who Terry Bollea is, but yes, it's it's especially for someone like that who's the most famous. It's hard to not become that character. Yeah, for sure. 
I can understand that because everybody's just expecting that from you. So I bet that's a very interesting read and another kind of more delving into some of the, the human psyche around our identities and what we base them on. Yeah. And I, I, I hope that even base, baseball fans, you know, even if you don't like wrestling, I tell, I say, I think you will still like this book. Yeah. You don't have to like wrestling because again, it's not really about, it's not about what happened in some match 30 years ago. It's about who these guys are as people and their families. And I track down their high school coaches and their, there's kids and all of that. I mean, even more so than the wax pack, I really feel like this book because the wax pack has a lot of memoir, a lot of my own story. And I feel like I felt like, okay, I, I told it, like, I'm not that interesting that you need to hear <laughs> about my life over again. So while I'm in the book and I'm certainly a part of the story, there's more space to get into some of the background of these wrestlers. Yeah, that's cool. I look forward to it. That sounds really exciting. Thank you. What comes to mind if I ask you what your favorite baseball memory is? Ooh, his favorite baseball memory. It's hard to narrow it down. And in some ways, it's hard to separate the, the writing part from the the fan part. Yeah. But I would say I have to go back to it's just a it's a it's a collage really of childhood where like going my my family me my sister my dad and i going to veteran stadium on baseball trips like waiting in the lobby of the i don't know what hotel it was but we were watching the dodgers were playing the phillies and my dad was like hey you know if we hang out in the lobby the dodgers will come through and we can get autographs and you know i have these very distinct memories i was probably eight years old of meeting lenny harris and Fernando Valenzuela and uh, several of the Dodgers from the, I think it was either that championship team or the year after and just being a little kid and the excitement of these guys who I only knew through their baseball cards really coming to life. And, 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 you know, it was just such a thrill to, to be up close to them like that. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of parallel exactly to the wax pack then, right? It's, you know, you with a little more years under your own belt, them with more years under their belts, and then, you know, kind of getting to know them as humans instead of the larger-than-life heroes that, that you recognize them as, as kids. Yeah, and that was that's honestly one of the hard parts is is there is, admittedly, when you're meeting these guys, it's it's exciting. Like, mm -hmm. there's still that fanboy inside that, that eight-year-old and so but you have to try to check that and be you know, you're there as a journalist and a writer and so trying to maintain some of that balance uh but and i think that's one of the take-home points of the wax pack is that after you read it hopefully you'll see that we all have a lot more in common with these players than we may have realized yeah yeah Okay, that's cool. What's the one thing that's left to check off on the baseball bucket list? I mean, what's the one thing you, you still want to see, the place you got to go, the person you got to talk to, anything like that? What's at the top of the list? Mm. Top of my bucket list of baseball. This is going to sound, you probably have never received this answer, but <laughs> I would love to 
investigate the senior professional baseball league. Have you ever heard of this? No, you're right. I haven't heard of the answer or the league. So (laughs) in like 1989 or 90, there was a actual league for a couple seasons of old timers, but they were playing like they were playing real baseball. And so it was a bunch of guys that had retired and were probably in their, in their mid forties or around there. It was down in Florida and they, and they went for a couple of seasons and it was the reason why I'm drawn to that is it's a little obscure, but also I I'm always fascinated by the, the end of a career Mm. and here's really getting into like, what would make somebody come back and try to play again, having already retired and want to do it again. And and what was that like to now be clearly not at your peak, but still wanting to play? So I think doing some kind of story about that or meeting some of the guys that played in that league would be would be really interesting. Yeah. How could it not be? I mean, like that's that's incredible. I'd be so curious to know those answers too. Like why I you just missed the game that much. You felt like you still had something to prove, you know, like it could be any, any number of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And there's, there's a lot of guys that played. So a lot of different reasons. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. I look forward. I hope you get to to run that story or that book or whatever it might be. Cause I look forward to hearing more about that. That's really neat. Where do people go if they want to kind of find more out about the wax pack, about the six pack, uh, right. or just follow you online? Where where should we send them? Um, so you can go to thebradpack.com. So I should say that that I ran into this issue where like I started, I had a, a, a wax pack website. I was like, okay, I, I can't just have a different website for every pack book. So I've created this thing called the Brad Pack, which is really about all of these projects that I have under the umbrella of 80s nostalgia in sports and entertainment. And, you know, there was the Brat Pack in the 80s. So it's right. sort of a take on that. <laughs> and um, so if you go to the bradpack.com or Brad Pack Books on Twitter, on X, uh, I'm active there. And when the six pack comes out in April, so please take a look, pre order. But also when that comes out, I'm going to be launching a, a Brad Pack site that's going to include a lot of new content with interviews with baseball players from that era, podcast kind of content, so that I'm not just, you know, people don't have to wait years for another book, but I'm also generating new content in between. So uh, the bradpack.com is is where you can find all that. Awesome. That sounds cool. I look forward to seeing what the new site holds and, um, you know, catching up on some of those those interviews that you're going to put together. Brad, I've had a blast chatting with you. I can't thank you enough for making time to do this and just um, really, really genuinely thank you for joining us. And I look forward to seeing what's next. Well, thanks, Anna. I appreciate it. I'm always happy to come back and chat some more. Yeah, great. And that will wrap up this episode of the Baseball Bucket List podcast. Special thanks to Brad Baluchian for joining us today and sharing the story about the Wax Pack and all of those baseball memories with us. I really enjoyed that one. If this sounds like something you'd like to do, if you think you might like to be a guest on the show, head to baseballbucketlist.com slash podcast and fill out an application. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. While you're there, make sure to spend some time on the site, sign up for a free membership, build your own baseball bucket list, and track those ballpark visits. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next episode.